invite you to take your scriptures and turn back to the Isaiah, I mean, sorry, Psalm 51. I got that on my mind today. Now, if you're younger, you're not going to remember this illustration. But back in the late 1970s, Jim McKay would come on the TV and it would be ABC's Wild, Wide World of Sports. And they had this introduction and and they had start the thrill of victory. Do you remember that? And they had Pele being carried out on people's shoulders from a soccer match and some race car driver guy. And then they had the infamous scene of the agony of defeat. Do you remember that? The guy's coming down the ski jump thing, and he doesn't even make it down to the jump part. He flops over. And, I mean, he wrecks himself. I mean, it was bad. I mean, so I looked up this week. I go, who was that guy? And his name was Vinko Bogotaj. He was from Germany or somewhere in that area. And it was his third run that day coming down. And it got really wet and then it froze. And it was way too fast. And so he tried to slow down and he lost his balance. And he went forward. He flipped off the side of it. He went down. And you don't know it because you don't see the rest of it. But he went over a fence down a ravine. He had a concussion, he broke his ankle, and bruised ribs, and all kinds of stuff. It was awful. And I thought, wow, if you could take David's life, King David, and you could put his life to a highlight reel, there would certainly be for David the thrill of victory. I mean, he had a lot of great victories in his life. I mean, imagine a little video shot of him as a shepherd boy, no bigger than some of the teenagers in our church. And there he is keeping the sheep, and he actually kills a lion and a bear. I mean, that had to be amazing. And then he uh, has all of his brothers line up when Samuel comes to his house. All of his older brothers, because he's the youngest brother, and no, 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 not none of them are the king. And then he's the last one in line. He comes in. And he kind of smells a little bit. He's out with the sheep. He's young. He's little. And, that, and Samuel goes, oh, that's the one. That must have been an amazing day. Winning so many battles of David, maybe video shots of him, you know, beating the Philistines, coming back into town, the victory parade. The ladies are chanting, Saul has killed his thousands. David has killed his tens of thousands. I mean, he had great victories. But if you had to pick one, right, only one victory to put on that that a video reel of his life, you'd have to say David versus Goliath, right? Maybe the video of him picking up the smooth stones, having the sling, the one in his hand, Goliath getting hit in the forehead, have him fall down, cuts his head off. Maybe that'd be too gruesome. But nevertheless, it'll be a video. That would, that would be the victory, right? The thrill of victory. But if you had a reel of his whole life, it wouldn't be just the thrill of victory. There would be the agony of defeat. And David, like all of us, had his defeats. He was tempted by the devil once, and he numbered the people, and God judged them. His own children, the vast majority of them, did not turn out. His own son, Absalom, rebelled against him, took the crown from him, and eventually was killed. It was awful. But like on the thrill of victory, there was one that stood out his battle with Goliath so with the agony of defeat, there's one defeat in David's life that stood out among all of them. In fact, it even says so in 1 Kings 15, 5, and it reads this, David did what was right in the sight of the Lord, save only 
in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. In other words, David's biggest defeat was not on a battlefield. It was in his own heart. When he lusted after Bathsheba, committed adultery, had her husband put on the front lines, Uriah, so he could be murdered, it was a horrible defeat. In fact, uh, we still read about it all of these millennia later, hundreds and hundreds, thousands of years later, we're still reading about it. And like Vinto Bogotage, his agony of defeat, which broke his ankle and other things as well, David felt like the sin that he had committed when he committed adultery and murder was like God having broke his bones. That's what he says to us. In fact, can I say tonight, or this afternoon, or this morning, one of those three, what if we had, I thought about this, and I wouldn't do this to anybody, but what about a highlight reel of your life? If we recorded a highlight reel of your life, you might have some thrills of victory, so to speak, that you recorded. Maybe you remember the time when you invited a friend to an event at church and they came to know Christ. Maybe when you were younger in high school, um, you stood up for Jesus when no one in your high school was even claiming to be a Christian. And, and you said, no, I, I believe that we're here and God created us in science class. Maybe you can look back at a victory about how you prayed and you prayed and you never stopped praying. And God used your prayers to turn someone's life around in an amazing way that you never really thought possible. And you could say, you know, if we had a highlight reel of your victories, those would be some of them. But you know what the truth is? We'd all have a part, a segment of our highlight reel that was the agony of defeat. And, and, and maybe the emphasis would be on the agony part. Incredibly painful divorces. Maybe the time when you completely lost your temper in a way that you'd never had before. And you said things, and you, your own quote is, I wish I would never let those words out of my mouth. Maybe it's the struggle with bitterness an animosity that has grown into this monster of an unforgiving spirit that over the years has concluded with unresolved conflicts that are still not settled and there are no peace in them even today. Maybe it's the uncontrolled desires that have ruined you and maybe the ones around you that you love, like alcohol or sexuality or drugs or pleasure, or money, or all that goes with it. See, if we had only one, and we put it on our highlight reel, it'd be the one that we struggle with. It's the one that really has brought defeat into our lives. So I ask, what are the broken bones that you have faced? What are the broken bones that you are dealing with, struggling with? And may I ask you this morning, quite candidly, how are you dealing with them? You see, Psalm, uh, Psalm 51 is David's story or, or his biography of brokenness. It's his highlight reel, the worst one of the agony of defeat in his own spiritual life. In fact, Psalm 51 could be broken up in two pieces, really. In verse 8, it says, let the bones, God, that you have broken rejoice. See, there was a time where he had broken bones, but at the end, in verse 17, he comes to the place where he says that here are the sacrifices of God. You know what God wants? He wants a broken spirit and a broken heart. And, and in today's message from 
Psalm 51 on brokenness. I want to put those two things together. How do broken bones and broken hearts go together? Basically, there are two types of brokenness. When you are broken by God, and that's verse 8, and when you are broken for God, and that is verse 17. If you look at your psalm, Psalm 51, it says at the very beginning, before it ever gets into the verses, to the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. So about a year later, after uh, adultery with Bathsheba, having Uriah put on the front lines and murdered, about a year later, Nathan came into him, pointed the finger and said, you're the man. After all that took place, David writes this psalm. And David probably had come to feel like in that entire year that he was hiding from God, hiding in public, trying to say, hey, you know, trying to cover up all of his sin. On the inside, he probably felt like Humpty Dumpty, you know, the old nursery rhyme, Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses, all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. And I think David had come to the place in his life where he felt like, his life had a great fall, that his life had been broken into pieces. David must have been wondering after a year, could anyone, could anyone really put back the pieces of his life together? You can feel that, and I, I want you to, as much as you possibly can, not only understand the truth, but could you feel it? Because I think this psalm wants us to just more than mull these thoughts around in our mind, that to feel it, to feel the brokenness that David has and how it impacts his life. And he does it this way. In verse 1, verse 10, verse 14 twice, verse 15, and verse 17, here's what he says. He says, have mercy on me. And then it has a little O. Oh, God. Oh, God, have mercy on me. Create a clean heart in me. Oh, God. In other words, he's crying out for it. He says in verse 14 twice in that verse, deliver me from blood, you know, forgive me basically for killing this man to make it easier for me to cover up my sin. Forgive me for that, oh God. And he says, oh God of my salvation. He says it in verse 15, oh Lord. Verse 17, he says it again. And he sacrifices of God are broken and contrite, he says, oh God, you won't turn that kind of sacrifice away, will you? I mean, he's crying out. Have you ever been there? Have you ever felt like the continual sinful choices that you make, the defeat in your life, specifically in a certain area of sin, and you just say, oh God, oh God, could you really clean this up? Can you really work through this mess? And, and David comes to the realization that he can't restore himself. He can't change himself. He can't transform. That, that getting his life right and putting his life back together is not something he can do. And he does it, he says in verse 1, have mercy on me, God. Wash me, verse 2. Purge me, verse 7. Create in me, verse 10. Renew me. Restore me. Deliver me. You know what he's saying? He says, God, i got to cry out to you for every detail of this. Because here's where I am. And he says, oh God, I'm deserving of wrath, but have mercy. God, I'm dirty, but would you clean me? God, I'm broken. Would you restore me? God, I'm weak. Would you give me the strength 
in every area of his life, he's come to the place where, God, I've ruined it. I've ruined it. I'm broken. But he can't stop because it's on his heart and his mind. He says it's ever before me. And so he describes his brokenness with all kinds of different words that describe sin. Transgression, I've stepped over the boundaries. Sin, I've missed the mark. Iniquity, it's a stain. Evil, it's wicked. He says, God, I mean, I don't, can't come up with enough words in my finite vocabulary to describe how I feel about what I've done. And the sin I've committed against you. And see, the Bible says that he even comes to the place in verse 8 where he says, God, the bones you have broken. See, God breaks bones. He does. God breaks bones to get your attention. And I can tell you firsthand from my life that that's what took place. I was only 15 years old. Um, I wanted to go to the public school, and back then they didn't have middle school, it was junior high. So 7th, 8th, and ninth grade was junior high. I was in ninth grade, transitioning to 10th grade. Our public high school was very big. They were a very strong reputation of sports in the state of Ohio, and I wanted to go there because that had been my idol for years. I'd been my, I worshipped sports. I played sports every season, all year long. I played baseball, basketball, soccer. I would have played anything. I made anything into a game because that's what I live for. And that's what I wanted to excel in. And because of that, God had taken, at best, a back seat in my life. I was going out for the high school baseball team. It wasn't my best sport, not even close. But I played sports because I couldn't imagine not playing a sport when it was offered. So I went out for baseball. I was out at second field, second base, and I was trying out for that. And I went down, fielded a ball, threw it to the first baseman, walked back. It was an easy routine play. I went back. It had rained three days in a row or so before that tryout. So the field was, and the infield especially, was incredibly muddy. I slipped, fell, braced my left hand on my, the webbing of my glove, and it flipped up like this and snapped both of my bones in my arm. I mean, Really bad. I looked it up today. There are two types of fractures, displaced and non-displaced. Okay? Displaced means you snap your bone in half so it's in two pieces that are not straight. They're like this. Then there is non-displaced, which means you have little cracks in them, but they're still lined up. I had the bad one, the displaced one. The x-ray, I had one bone here, one was over here, and both my bones just in different places. It was so bad that I also looked up that you could have closed breaks and open breaks, which means closed breaks stay in your skin. The open ones come out of your skin. Mine were starting to come out of my skin. My coach's wife ran over because when I hit the ground, I screamed. And she came over and she goes, oh, let me help you. And she went to grab my arm and she went backed off. She goes, honey, you're going to have to do this one. I can't do this one. I go, thank you. That makes me feel great. And so he, she came over as best they could and picked my arm up. It was at an awkward position. She wrapped it in something. She goes, you're going to have to hold it. So I got in the car. She took me to the hospital. And they came in. And the nurses, they tried not to have wear it on their face, but it was kind of gross. So they took me into the emergency room. And they came in. And the doctor comes in. He was very casual about everything, trying to make me probably feel better. He said, well, we're going to have to set your arm. And I'm just not, he goes, I'm not going to lie to you. It's going to hurt. Alrighty then. So they called my mom. My mom had finally got there. And my mom came in. She was crying and she was all upset. And so they said, so back then, I don't know how they do it now, but he took this little machine. It was like a pulley system. 
and he started to wrap each of my fingers with wires. So, that it, so he held it like this, and I held my arm as much as I could because it was so much pain. So he said, okay, I'm going to start cranking this, and your arm's going to go up to the ceiling. And then he turned to my mom. He goes, and you might want to walk down the hall. <laughs> and so they started cranking it up like this. Oh, it's like excruciating pain. It's terrible. So I finally got it up to almost like this, right? And he goes, okay, now I'm going to come over on this side of your arm, and you're going to look over at that wall. He goes, because what I got to do is put your bones back together straight. So he put, it, he put his hands on my arms and smashed it all together. And that's the only way I could describe it to you. Woo, wow. I can even feel bad to this day thinking about it. <laughs> but you know what the reality was? I needed a doctor who could set my bones. I couldn't do it. I could hardly lift it up. There's no way I could have put that straight. I needed someone who was going to do it. And you know, for the longest time, I thought I broke my bones because I was playing baseball. I slipped. It was me. You know what? I came to the realization about a year later when I switched from the public school to the Christian high school, which we're trying to have. It's been an influence in my life. And I realized, oh, you know, it wasn't me. It was God. My doctor even told me, he goes, by the way, the reason your bones snapped at such a small, like a, a, a very non, you know, accident, was nothing big. He says, because you had a defect in both of your bones. You were born with it. You just didn't know it. And this is the time that you find out. You know why? Because God put it there. God had to get a hold of my heart and he had to break my bones to do it. Spurgeon says this, children of God cannot sin cheaply. And when you put things before God, like Bathsheba, and Uriah, and pleasure, and sports, and whatever else you fill in the blank with, sin will always, can I say this to you? Break you. Sometimes figuratively, sometimes even literally. Most of the times, I looked it up this week, do you know when the Bible says that God breaks bones? you know when it was? God broke the arm of Pharaoh. God broke the arm of Midian. God broke the bones of Egypt. God broke, and, and it's always God's enemies. And he's fighting them in a battle. And he shows them by wiping them out that you can't go against God and win. But almost all the time in the Old Testament, it's God versus his enemies. Very rarely does it say that God breaks the bones of his own people. But at times he does. At times he does. When we think, that we can go against God and win. You see, David's biggest defeat wasn't Goliath. It wasn't by some Philistine. It was by his own sin. And God had to break his bones to break his heart. And you might be here this morning, and you say, Pastor Walker, listen, I'm not broken like David was. Can I tell you this kindly? We are all broken David says, I know that you think that my example is extreme. And maybe you're not broken in those ways and to that degree. But you know what David says in verse 5? And, and he marks off verse 5 and 6 because it's the key of the passage. And he puts the word behold in front of both of them. Because he says, if you missed anything else and you're so encumbered with my, my sin, let me tell you where you stand in this whole thing. He says, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. And in sin did my mother conceive me. David would say this. Well, you know what? We behave broken. We do. We have, we behave broken. But David says, you know why we behave broken? Because we were born broken. 
So the point this morning is not whether you've committed adultery or whether you had someone murdered. The point is that you are broken, yes, like David. Not exactly like David, but in this point, everyone in this room, everyone on this globe, on this planet, we were all born broken. Broken in sin. Broken by sin. And brokenness comes in all shapes and sizes. No one is immune from the fractures of fallenness. No one is exempt from the splinters of sinfulness. And it shows itself, its ugly self, in broken homes, in broken marriages, in broken vows, in broken families, in broken relationships, and friendships, and even broken bank accounts, broken homes, and dreams, and even broken churches. Because brokenness is all of us. We are broken. David said, I am broken. But we have a problem with that. And we like to keep up appearances. We don't want to to put our brokenness on display. We would rather have the appearance of wholeness. And someone asks you how you are, and you say, I'm fine, when you're about the farthest thing from fine. And you, 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 you come to church and sit with someone, your spouse, and it looks all good, and it's anything but good. And so we don't want to appear to be broken. And when that happens, we begin to downplay how broken we are. And then we stop taking responsibility for our brokenness. And then we begin to blame others. And see, David never did that. You know what he said? He said, God, I'm broken. He says he took responsibility. He didn't blame his sin on the pressures of being the king. He didn't blame his sin on Bathsheba and how beautiful she was. And nobody could have resisted. He didn't say those things. He took responsibility. And when you're broken, you begin to see God for who he is and your own sin for what it is. Perhaps clearer than ever before. Because God breaks bones. But I'm grateful to tell you that that's not all that Psalm 51 offers us. God only, not only breaks bones, but God breaks hearts. And can I tell you, they don't always go together. Do you know it's possible to have tragic situations take place in your life and never have a broken heart? When we forget the dangers of sin... And then we think that we can step over God's boundaries without personal cost. When we think we are more powerful and wiser than we really are. When we believe we have integrity and inner strength that we really don't possess. God breaks bones. But he breaks bones because his greatest desire is to break hearts. If you've had your bones spiritually broken, you know exactly what I'm talking about. God breaks bones like people break horses. When you say you're going to break a horse, you're not trying to harm the horse. You're not trying to break him literally. Well, you're trying, you're trying to break the horse's will. You're trying to break that horse's spirit. Why? Because a broken horse is useful. Samuel Chadwick, the Puritan, said, It's a wonder what God can do with a broken heart when you give him all the pieces. And see, that's what God wants. And perhaps he brought you here this morning. 
You know why? Because he wants you to give, he wants you to give him all your broken pieces. Not hide them, not pretend that they're not there, not pretending that you're more than you are. But God says, I break bones because I want to break hearts. And that's why David says this in verse 17, that this is, listen to this phrase, the sacrifice of God. Verse 16 and verse 19 that surrounds verse 17 talks about the normal way an Old Testament person would think of sacrifices. It talks about burnt offerings, whole burnt offerings, because the way that God designed it under the Torah, under the law, was that when you sinned against God and you sinned against people, you would go to the temple and you would make sacrifices. You would bring the animal and you would sacrifice the animal. And if the sin was bad enough, you'd have to sacrifice the whole animal. And it'd be a big one, right? And that's how God says that you get right with him. But here's what God says. And David found out that God isn't interested in dead sacrifices so much as he is interested in living ones. David says, listen, God, and look at the four words, 16, 17, and 19. You wouldn't delight in that kind of sacrifice. You're not pleased with that. God, this is not what you want. God says, listen, David, you know what I want? I don't care if you go to the temple. I don't care if you do the animal things. What I really want, David, is you. That's why three times in the text, God says, you know what I want? I want your heart. And David says, create in me a clean heart. Give me a broken heart. See, God wants that. Some people think that brokenness means that I'm just going to come to church more. God's not interested in that. God, I'm going to try to do better, and I won't do, and you name the sin. I, I promise you, I won't look at the internet anymore. I promise you, I'm not going to say foul language. I promise you that I'm not going to, and you tell him what it is. I'm going to do better. Give me time. God, I'm, I'm, tr- I'm going to make up for it. I really hurt my wife by what I said, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to love her differently this time. See, God's not interested in reformation on the outside so much as he's interested in transformation on the inside. That's why the Bible says in verse 6, God, you delight in truth where? In the inward being. You teach me wisdom where? In the secret heart. See, pastors don't come to church and tell you to deal with your sin because you're broken so that I can get you here every Sunday. It's not how it works. God says, listen, you know what you really need? You need a heart change. The sacrificial system with animals can't do that, God says. The sacrifices that God wants, what he takes pleasure in, what his delight is in, is not you just showing up more, but you changing more on the inside, he says. So you know what God delights in? You know what his sacrifices are? A broken spirit. A whole change of attitude. A completely different mentality. A completely different framework about how you think about God and people. That's what he's looking for in your life. And it's not just an event. It's a lifestyle. Today, I want you to know brokenness is not a few tears that come down your face. It's not a few steps that you walk down the aisle, although that might be part of it. Because it's not something that just emotionally touches you for a few minutes in the sermon. You know what brokenheartedness is? It's a complete takeover of your life from the inside out. That's what God wants. He doesn't want you just to mend your ways. 
Because brokenness is the cure for brokenness. Do you understand? The cure for broken bones is not some rest, it's broken heartedness. In fact, in Hebrew, the word broken and contrite comes from a word that means to smash in pieces, to be shattered, crippled, wrecked, crushed. That's what he wants. He wants you to be so crushed by what you look at and what you watch and what you listen to and how you talk and how you treat people and the way that you have done things. And he wants you to be crushed over it, crippled by it. Today they say wrecked by it. And he wants it to be on the inside. Because in verse 19, you see how he ends? Then, see the word then? Then you will delight in the right side. Then you can bring the burnt offerings. Then you can do the Levitical stuff. He says the Levitical stuff is for later. But what happens first and foremost, you need a heart check. You need to say, God, here's, get a hold of me here. So the la- change can be lasting. And I'm so thankful that Isaiah 61.1 is quoted by our master, Jesus, when he did his first sermon in Luke 4.18. And he is quoting this about himself. He says that he came to heal the brokenhearted. I offer that to you today, healing. Jesus isn't here to beat you over the head. He's certainly not downplaying what you are and what you've done. But he's here to heal. He's here if you have a broken heart. He wants you to know that you know why you are in pain today. You know why you have chosen the road and why you are where you are and how you feel the way you feel. Because he's breaking your bones. Why? He's getting your attention so that he can break your heart. The best thing you can do today, listen, is this. Don't wait for God to break your bones. You choose brokenness. Choose it. I've been on the other end where you waited for it. And I can tell you this. It is no fun. Choose to be broken. And choose it today. See, it doesn't matter what other people know. It doesn't matter what they think when you're crying and you walk down this aisle. It, it, it wouldn't matter. Because what matters is brokenness to God and to others. What will you choose? Let's bow our heads and hearts together. With every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around, You're not in a cast today, and perhaps you haven't been to the ER this week, at least not physically. But if we could see in your hearts as God sees, casts, crutches, surgery, all perhaps needed. Maybe you're just full of broken bones today, and the sad part would be maybe no one else knows about it. Can I tell you, as a church family, we need to be okay with brokenness in the sense that we care about it and love people through it, like Jesus does. And perhaps today you've come to the realization of 
here's where the pain comes in. Here's where it comes from, brokenness. God has broke my bones to get me here today because he wants to break my heart. I'll be here after the service down front. If you would like to talk with someone, pray with someone, say, God, I, I, I have broken bones, but I, what I really need is a broken heart because that's the answer. Love to work with you through that. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to end our service a little differently today. I've asked Mike Lestina to come and sing a song about brokenness, and you can just keep your head bowed and eyes closed as he sings, because what matters most is the words of what he's saying. And I pray that the song that he sings would find its way into your heart. Father, thank you for being a God that is near to those who are lowly and of a broken and contrite heart. Father, what you want is our hearts completely. And there have been people here today who have been broken so long, but they're still holding out. They're still hiding, trying to appear to be what they're not. Father, I pray that the walls would come down today, the facade, the token Christianity, and that you'd get through to hearts today. And maybe, not only do they need to get right with you, but maybe others in this place. Maybe others who aren't here. I pray that that kind of brokenness would be what moves us today by your Holy Spirit. And we'll give you praise for that in Christ's name. Amen.